Time now for uh, Playing Politics. With a little Bono in the background. John Rash, Scott Gillespie, both on the Shift Real Estate Hotline. Gents, always a pleasure. Let's talk about St. Paul first, uh, John. Um, Senator Gazelka and Minority Leader Dowd have been saying for months and months, it's time for the governor to give up his emergency powers. They both said that again today to the media. They laid out a detailed plan where the governor uh, would still be in a position to get federal money. When he was on this show a couple weeks ago, he said that's the only reason why he still has the emergency powers. If John Gazelkin Dowd are right, that the state would not lose a penny, aren't they then right that it's time for Governor Walls, considering the position we are in and the remarkable progress we have made already with COVID, that he no longer should have the emergency powers? Well, part of that remarkable progress is because of the moves that the governor took during the time that he's had these emergency powers. And so one could also argue that the profound differences between the Republican leadership and the Democratic Governor Walls suggest that before he relinquished these powers, that they have some kind of plan in place that doesn't just lead to yet more political and at this point, healthcare gridlock if the pandemic either resurfaces or a new variant comes into play or a whole new health threat emerges as well. And I think that one of the many dynamics of this incredibly uh, challenging time that the state and nation and world has gone through is how politicized it became and how deeply divergent the responses, depending on one's politics, may have been. I think in the end, the governor's caution was well warranted and allowed Minnesota to move through this and a better pace and rate and success than some, if not many or most states at this point. Yes, they should have a negotiation, but it shouldn't simply be, I think, the governor relinquishing it because, boy, if anything happens again, we're really going to have a deep difference, and that doesn't help the public overcome it. What do you think, Scott? Well, it seems like everything's wrapped up now in the budget, and they've got a June 14th special session scheduled, and then they face the July 1 deadline for passing the two-year budget. This issue on emergency powers is now just part of a long list of issues that Republicans and Democrats at the legislature are uh, negotiating largely behind the scenes with little process uh, open to news media or the general public. So, um, you know, I would think that it's, it's got to come to a head. I think it would be really politically bad for both the DFL and for uh, the uh, Republicans if there were any kind of shutdown for any period of time when there's that much federal money coming into the state. So I, I expect it to all come to a head here in the next two, two to three weeks. What did you guys think how the the mass mandate with the two biggest cities in the state played out yesterday? Scott, I'll go to you first. Jacob Fry comes out and says, look at our data. We're close to 80% of our residents who have been vaccinated. Our positivity rate is, is, is low. And Melvin Carter pretty quickly comes out and says, hey, 
I don't have any choice if they're going to do it. Now, he offered a more detailed approach today, right? Because I think some people are saying, wait a second, do we have any power here in St. Paul? But I was really surprised, Scott, how Melvin Carter, who normally is very astute publicly, handled that. It was very clear today it was a backpedal of some sorts to say, hey, I'm not just doing this solely because of Minnesota. Here's the reason why. But he certainly laid those cards on the table yesterday. Well, I, I'm uh, talking with you from beautiful St. Paul, Minnesota, and I can tell you that culturally things tend to be, you know, a little bit slower to happen over here on this east side of the river. Uh, and I think I think Mayor Carter is just being proactive. He's concerned that possibly some St. Paul people would, would venture over to Minneapolis at some point and notice that there aren't any masks being worn anymore, so he had to get ahead of that. I'm trying to I'm trying to be light about this because I actually yeah. think that, in the sense he, you're right. I mean, he, we 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 acted like Twin Cities here, I guess, but with St. Paul being, uh, I guess, a step behind. Uh, maybe Melvin feels, or Mayor Carter feels that uh, politically, it's, it's better to signal to people that yeah, I kind of have to do this because certainly people in St. Paul, I, I know, are have been very uh, uh, they've complied with the mask mandate, uh, largely, uh, yeah, it's been remarkable. I spend a lot of time in Western Wisconsin where you rarely would see a mask at any point in the pandemic mm-hmm. here in, Correct. Uh, here I'm with in you. yeah, here in St. Paul, uh, much different stories. So, um, it was, a, it was very interesting to see that one, two step like that. What'd you think, John? It's really reminiscent of what happened just a few weeks ago when with extreme extreme um, alacrity, the CDC announced that they were going to roll back the mask mandate, and that came from the federal government, and Governor Walls seems to have been taken by surprise and realized that it was untenable to keep the mask mandate in Minnesota, and so he quickly let it slip at that point as well, and when we were talking about lessons learned from the pandemic, it seems that the lessons learned of, of not coordinating responses um, continues in that one would think, especially given what seems to be the close political, if not personal, alliance of Mayors Fry and, and Carter, that Mayor Fry didn't give Mayor Carter a heads up and say, we're looking to do this. Here's our data. I know you're tracking very similarly in St. Paul. So we have a joint announcement so there's not any kind of confusion and we can coordinate our efforts here in the Twin Cities. And clearly that did not happen. And that's unfortunate and kind of a, a opportunity loss there. So I want to talk about the uh, the former president. Um, he still obviously has enormous sway over the Republican Party. And we'll talk about that again uh, in the next few weeks. But his blog has, has now shut down. These, these missives from, from the desks of the former president, which... I assume he has something else coming up. But then I saw some pushback against Maggie Haberman. Maggie Haberman, New York Times, probably covered Trump as closely as anybody, probably had as many scoops as anybody. And she had the item the other day, and there was pushback to it, where, John, she's saying that Trump is telling some associates that he believes he'll be reinstated by August. Okay, I believe I will be given... 25 green jackets as the winner of the last 25 uh, 
Masters. So I think both are fairly likely in August. It's not going to happen. This is just him delusional. But the pushback that kind of ticked me off is from others saying, why are you even talking about him anymore? Stop reporting on it. And, and these are mainly Democrats. I'm thinking, you just don't get what news is about. Donald Trump is still front and center. I don't like many of the things he says. I disagreed with him on many policy positions. But he's a former president who is controlling one of the two parties that we have in this country. And to say he shouldn't be covered, I think it's nonsense. Well, it's not just reflective of a story, perhaps, but perhaps the story in American politics and in democracy overall nowadays, where you have in the country most associated with democracy that tries to protect it, protect it and project it abroad, where a one of the two parties has a overwhelming majority of self-identified members who don't accept the election results, many of them pushing to have them overturned, and many state legislatures that are controlled by the Republican Party implementing very strict voting restrictions. This is a front-page story in all its yes. manner and method, and President Trump is certainly central to that. So to the degree that the pushback against Maggie Haverman of the New York Times was why you're reporting this, the only pushback she should ever get is why she wouldn't be reporting this if indeed yes. that this is something that she has heard. What do you think, Scott? Well, I, I agree with both of you on this. The uh, you, know, you can go after the messenger if you'd like, but like you said, Chad, the, this is a, a former president who still is the head of the Republican Party in this country, and he calls the shots. He calls the shots on policy. He calls it on po- on politics. And until that changes, until the party decides, or if they decide, to uh, disassociate themselves from him, I think the media does have a responsibility to, to cover him even more uh, intently than it, you know, that certainly much more intently than it would if they would make the choice to dis- disassociate themselves and no longer uh, follow his marching orders. But they do currently. So, you know, I think that uh, the main, main news outlets have to keep covering him, yes. Gentlemen, always a pleasure. Enjoyed it. We'll uh, talk next week. Thank you, Chad. Scott and John Gillespie and Rash from the Star Tribune.